Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today is Sunday, January 14th, 2018, and this is Something's Beat here on CLNS Media. And I am Evan Valenti. Episode number 245 is brought to you by Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Get $50 off select matches purchases by visiting casper.com backslash Celtics and using the promo code Celtics at checkout. Today's episode is also brought to you by eHarmony. My listeners right now get a free month with eHarmony. When they sign up for a three-month subscription, enter my code SouthwixBeat at checkout. Happy Sunday, everybody. Evan Valenti back here on the show. Going to make this short and sweet. I'm not really happy with the fact that we've seen one game in one week. That's not cool. I love this team. I love watching this team and uh, getting one game after the bevel of games that we've had, the cornucopia of games that we've had, uh, especially through December. It's just not fair. Uh, bring this team back. Luckily for us, we get uh, three games this week. New Orleans, Philly both at home. Uh, then Sunday, a week from today, versus Orlando. Again, all three games in the TD Garden. Get out there and uh, make some noise in the TD Garden. Should be fun. Boogie and, and Anthony Davis, the Sixers, who the Celtics seem to own this year, and Orlando, who was nice to start the year, but not so great now, though Eric, Eric Gordon's having uh, a great year. So let's not waste any more time let's get to chad fit one of my favorite people he covers the media essentially for the boston globe one of my favorite guys to chat with love his stuff let's get to chad i don't, I don't know about you chad but I, I don't think i've ever seen a team like this boston Celtics team that like loves being down 15 plus points in a game these guys seem to relish being like Sean Grandy has the great stat, and I'll find it in a second. But this team has come back from so many big deficits. Is have you ever seen a team that has has overcome so many huge like twenty five points or twenty six points to Houston, twenty plus points to Golden State? You had the game uh, in London where they were down twenty plus to Philadelphia, still found ways to win all those games. You ever see a team relish that kind of opportunity like this? Um, probably not to this degree, Evan, uh, especially against good teams. You know, you mentioned Houston and Golden State. Uh, it doesn't get much better than those two. I, I suspect a big reason for it is because of their reliance on the three. Uh, and, you know, you can start out slowly and have it not falling for anybody. And all of a sudden one guy gets hot and, uh, you know, Kyrie gets hot and suddenly they're falling for Tatum and Jalen Brown hits a few. Even Marcus might hit a couple and all of a sudden you're back in the game. So, and Terry Rozier lately too. So, I think that's probably a big part of it. It's just the math of it that you're getting you're getting more points per attempt uh, per make when uh, when you're firing up the threes at the rate that the 
current NBA teams do nowadays. I kind of remember it a little bit from from the early Pierce Twan years, you know, because Twan was so uh, up and down with with his three point shooting, and they had the big comeback in the East Finals against the Nets that one year. But it seems like the Celtics do that right now every uh, every three weeks or so. Again, Sean Grandy, who is the play by play voice of the Boston Celtics, done a great job detailing this statistic. They've been down 26 against Houston, 22 against Philadelphia, 18 against Oklahoma City, 18 in a game against Charlotte where they didn't have Kyrie Irving. Uh, they did it 17 against Golden State, 16 against Atlanta, 7, uh, 13 against Dallas, 13 against Indiana. All those resulted in wins. I have just really never seen it like it. You mentioned the three-point shooting, and that's kind of where we are with today's NBA. Everybody shoots a ton of threes. Right. You, you look at Houston, they do it to the most extreme degree. Um, I think Boston, and a lot of people – talk about the three-point shooting in today's NBA and I get a lot of people that call on my radio show all the time that talk to me about how they hate the three-point shooting and that's just the trend right now but the one thing about Boston is they at least for the most part Chad I think they they at least take good ones right yeah I think so don't you I mean uh you know Marcus will have a a stretch you say you're watching it develop and you say, no, no, no. And then it goes up uh, and sometimes it goes in, I guess. But no, for the most part, um, they do take good shots. So one thing that frustrates me, and I know it definitely frustrates the old timers, is when, uh, say, Horford has the ball five feet from the basket and he, it looks like he has a layup, maybe a contested layup, but a makeable shot. And uh, he'll kick it out to the corner for a three for Jalen or, or Rozier or somebody Uh they're trying to get the they could have the two they're trying to get that extra point and uh, we all know the math that goes into that and the, the value of a three-pointer nowadays but I think it drives the old you got to have a post player you got to have your back to the basket that that crew uh crew crazy but yeah they I think they uh they generally take good shots and and uh, have great spacing on offense for the most part and uh, uh I don't have any complaint about it I guess I'm kind of a middle old timer I'm in my late 40s but uh and the, to me, the best era of basketball was the mid '80s. But uh, this is the second best I've ever seen, and, and this team in particular is an absolute joy to watch. Yeah, I love the spacing too. Al Horford, a big part of how well they space yeah. the floor. And like you, like you watch some other teams. Like there's a couple of guys on you know the Twitter sphere that do a great job of detailing. Like as an example, the Bucks and their absolutely absolutely horrific <laughs> court spacing that they have on the floor. Like it's just it's like a crime against humanity when you watch a team like like we we are really fortunate we get to watch a team like the Celtics play all the time and how the ball moves from side to side inside and out like the one big complaint I think offensively that I have with this team is and Scal talks about it all the time you hear Tommy yell at you know trying to yell at to Brad Stevens across the floor all the right. time that the, the ball needs to hit the paint more so you can kick it out for wide open three point shots. You draw the attention of the defense inside the paint, and then everything kind of sets itself up around that. The only problem with that is Boston doesn't have a lot of guys that can get into the paint really at will. They have Kyrie who does it whenever he wants to, but everybody right. else is sort of hit or miss. You have Terry Rozier who's starting to kind of feel his way a little bit, and his improvement has been crucial to how Boston has played, especially over the seven-game winning streak. Smart, again, pending the matchup, can do it most times, cannot, or if he gets a full out of steam, can kind of do it. They don't really have that kind of creation on the offensive end. If we're looking at things that Boston doesn't do well, that's one of the big highlights, I think. Yeah, the guy who's going to do it more often as as he uh, gets older and maybe uh, turns 20 is <laughs> Jason Tatum. He He's showing more and more that uh, he can get into the paint. And then, you know, he's doing kind of that plastic man extended finish uh layup when he was first when the season first began and it was effective and then they got 
uh, scouting reports on him and that, that he ran into a little bit of a wall with that for a while, but now he's finishing in all kinds of different ways. He's finishing with dunks and left-handed and right-handed. And I think he's going to be somebody who's right up there with, uh, with the guards in terms of his ability to get into the paint and create that way. I, I also think, I wonder, I, I should ask somebody this, but it feels like Rozier's really benefited from playing with Kyrie. Like he's, he's not Kyrie. Nobody is, but he sees the, skill set Kyrie has and he looks at it and says I can do some of those things I can handle a ball pretty well I've got a great first step uh and it seems like Kyrie has been really encouraging toward him you notice when Rozier hits a big shot which has happened more and more often lately uh Kyrie's the first guy up on the bench you know giving him a giving him a high five or something maybe I'm reading too much into it but no I, I think, think you're that, right I think you're right on that yeah. there's been times throughout the season well I, there's obviously with Isaiah being the fold, I think Terry and Isaiah, they worked out in the offseason a lot together, and, and Terry took a lot from Isaiah. But I can, I agree with you. I think in the short time we've seen Terry Rozier play with Kyrie Irving, I mean, not necessarily together, but again, playing the same team, but Terry has he kind made, of adapted yeah. some of his tendencies. There was a shot the other night, and I think, I'm trying to remember the exact game it was. Maybe it was that Brooklyn game. Maybe it was a game before where it was a, a page right out of Kyrie's book, drove to the right side with his right hand, and it just pulled up from about, you know, 10 feet, 8 feet, and banked it off the glass. I've never seen yep. Terry do that in my life, and Kyrie does that with relative ease all the time. But I want to get back to this idea of Boston getting down early in a game. because, And, and not maybe not early, but in, throughout points of the game, in the game in London, they were down early. It, there's two ways you can look at this conundrum or this phenomenon of Boston finding sure. ways to come back in games. There's one. Wow, that's really awesome. They found a way to come back in this game. That shows great mental toughness. This team, you know, at this point, I mean, yes, you're watching the game in London. And in the third quarter, I was convinced that they were going to come back and win that game. And by the time the third quarter ended, I I, I knew you know wholeheartedly they were going to win the game. You could say that that's, that's a mental toughness thing. Or this is a huge red flag. This team finds, you know, different ways to fall behind what seems like almost every game. They get down double digits routinely. And this could be a red flag for something later on. Like, we all try to say this about the Cavaliers, and I think a lot of people – are falling into this camp. Yes, they still have LeBron James, but this defense has to be a red flag. Couldn't you easily make that same thing for the Celtics that they have some serious issues here? I think so, but you know what? All all things considered, I would take that no-quit mentality, the ability to come back when you're down 17 twice like they were against the Warriors or even at a game against the uh, lesser opponent where you're not going to be as jacked up as they were for the Warriors or for, for the Rockets to come back. That Charlotte game or the, the Dallas game where they had to scratch that one out. Um, I, I, I like that characteristic I, uh, much better than uh, more. I'll take that characteristic with it coming with the fact that they start slowly sometimes over a team that uh, maybe starts well every night, but just doesn't have the ability to close the gap when they do fall behind. I I, I like the character of this team a lot. I, it's a mystery sometimes why they're not ready to go or why they, why they struggle out of the gate. Uh, but you know they're going to step on the accelerator at some point. And I, I think that is a that's very high up the list of things you want out of your contending basketball team. So I, I like that a lot about them, even though it can be frustrating in the game's first 15 minutes or so. Today's edition of Celtics Beat is being presented by Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Casper's mattresses are designed by humans for humans, made right here in the U.S. of A. They combine the multiple supportive memory foams 
for a quality sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right balance. Casper's breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulate your body temperatures through the night. And they're not just a mattress company either. Casper offers a wide array of products to ensure an overall better sleep experience. And buying the Casper is easy. You order it online, it's then delivered to your door in a compact box, and free shipping, free returns to the U.S. and Canada. And with all that, you get a free 100-day risk-free trial. Considering we spend one-third of our lives on a mattress, it's so important to truly sleep on a mattress before committing to one, and that's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out start sleeping ahead of the curve with casper get 50 dollars towards select mattress purchases by visiting casper.com backslash celtics and using the promo code celtics at checkout terms and conditions apply again that's 50 dollars towards select mattress purchases by visiting casper.com backslash celtics and using the promo code celtics at checkout This episode is also brought to you by eHarmony. Look, if you're trying online dating, chances are you've probably run into one of these things. Lazy text messages, dead-end conversations, and random matches that just don't turn into dates. You can't really get to know someone just by looking at their picture, and that's where eHarmony comes into play. eHarmony is like any other dating site, okay? eHarmony takes steps that other dating sites do not do in order to find you the most compatible match. They are built to help you find lasting, meaningful relationships, not just a shallow hookup site. They've helped over a million people find the perfect match, and eHarmony uses years and years and years of science, data, and psychological research to send you the right matches. eHarmony flat out just brings compatible people together. Look, folks, there are plenty of hookup sites out there. This is not what eHarmony represents, okay? And right now, my listeners get a free month of eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription just by entering my code CELTICSPEED at checkout. Again, that's a three a free month with a three-month subscription. Again, that's a free one for a three-month subscription. We have my buddy Parker giving this a test drive, and we're going to be talking to Parker in a little bit, okay? Not not this episode in particular. I want him to get his feet wet a little bit with, with eHarmony, you know, figure out how it's, how it's used, you know, test the waters a little bit, and, and we'll, he'll, we'll get to him at some point in the next couple of weeks. I can't wait to hear from him and how easy it's been uh, to find compatible matches with eHarmony. Stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship today. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you are finally ready to fall in love with someone and having a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, and that's eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started. Just enter my promo code CELTICSBEAT at checkout. What's your favorite thing about Jason Tatum so far? I have an answer, but I'll wait on, on yours. Uh, that he's turning into Grant Hill before our eyes. I mean, <laughs> it, it's true. I, I hate going overboard with that. But, you know, the comparisons I've made all year, he's, he's got a little bit of Pierce in him for sure. Um, more more elongated and a little more athletic and certainly not as, as wise as Pierce was. Pierce had the old man game when he came into the league, even though he was more athletic as a young player. Uh, Alex English was one that I saw being from my generation, a guy who scored with incredible grace. Uh, but this is a writer in uh, California. I think he works for the Orange County paper, but he's covered the NBA forever named Lyle Spencer. And he made the he made the uh, comparison to Young Hill uh, to me on Twitter the other day. And I thought, wow, Grant Hill is a young player was supposed to be the next Michael Jordan. But you go back and look at what Grant Hill did on the court. 
he's a much better passer than Tatum is at this point, but his ability to score, uh, it looks very, very similar. And uh, I, I, I don't know about you, Evan, but those people who were really upset when Danny Ainge traded the number one pick uh, to go down and get Tatum just for the sake of getting another draft pick back as well. I haven't heard from many of them lately. I think everybody agrees Jason Tatum is a, a cornerstone for a long time here. He, he's unbelievable. And, and I, uh, I, I actually, I do believe Danny when they, when they say, and Ben Brad said this too, they would have drafted him one overall if they didn't make the I, I've been told that by somebody who's a Celtics probably three months before that Tatum was this guy. And I didn't know if I should believe it because that's not what you heard publicly, but a pretty good source was right about that. It's just, and from what we've been able to gather since, like uh, I think Brad let it slip during like a, a pre-game interview or maybe like during a, a, a practice session or something like that. But at, when they brought Tatum in to work out, he made a lot of shots. And you yeah. look at some of his, like we, I've had Drew Halen on the show um, before, and and we're still working on getting him back on again about you know Tatum growing up and 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 learning on the you know as he went and you know they mm-hmm. had him in the summertime. There was that great you know clip that they they leaked out of Tatum hitting like what eighteen threes in a row, missing one, then hitting seven in a row, just yeah. standing still. And you're like, uh oh, like I mean maybe, maybe but you know anybody can shoot an open gym, right? We always have that adage. Like you know who shot really well in an open gym was Jerry and Grant, and he still can't really find his way <laughs> on an NBA roster. He Jerry and Grant had one of the best workout videos I've ever seen. He did this like star thing where he started at the top of the key, shot a three, ran to one corner, shot a three, ran to the next corner, shot a three, ran back up to the left wing, then finished off on the right wing in a kind of a star formation, hit all five of them with relative ease. So at that point, I was like, oh, this guy's great. And then he can't find his way uh, really on an NBA roster. Meanwhile, Tatum has been, again, unbelievable. My favorite thing about Tatum is how quickly he learns. And, yeah. and just is so adaptable to whatever Boston wants him to do. Like the beginning of the year, Hayward goes down, and basically they're like, okay, all you really have to do is shoot open threes and attack closeouts, and that's really it. That's it. That's all we need you to do. And then at that point, you know, for the first couple of games, he's a 50% three-point shooter, and then they're like, okay, what can we – do now to kind of take the training wheels off. Now you see him, you know, more of a pick and roll guy. They, they'll they'll bring him off a pick and they'll just take the the shot right off a pick. He's fantastic at that. He drives the basket with relative ease. Now uh, his vision. I think they're still trying to figure out how to really incorporate that part of his game because he can move the ball. But you've seen the training wheels get looser and looser and looser and looser as the year goes on. And by the end of the year, this kid's gonna be riding the bicycle like he was a pro and he, like he woke up doing it. So. I, I just love how on both ends of the floor, not just offensively because defensively he's been, again, great too, but hit the way he learns and how quickly he adapts what coaches tell him I think is the biggest thing for he has going forward. Well, yeah, because one of the knocks, uh, well, two of the knocks coming into the league were that he may not have NBA three-point range. Uh, I don't know what that says about the spacing at Duke last year or how, how they utilized him, but that was one of the things you'd read, you know, from Kevin O'Connor or a uh, draft express guys or whoever it happened to be. And the other one was uh, maybe not the best teammate that, that uh, he had a lot of belief in his own ability and it sometimes rubbed guys the wrong way. Uh, I don't know who Danny talked to or what Danny saw himself, but clearly those things don't apply to him as a rookie at the NBA level. Uh, the, the, teammate issue uh he's he's been absolutely perfect from what i've heard uh i'm curious what your uh what your comp is for him is there a guy you see a uh, guy you see there so i've tried this i've tried to go mm-hmm. through 
again, so I'm 27, so you got to kind of scale it differently, right? So I did this thing yes. where <laughs> I, I try to go back and look at like early Brandon Roy, like a little Michael Red, Danny Granger, mm-hmm. you know, Mello when he was younger and had legs. Um, and the one thing that sticks out about Tatum over the other guys right away is the rebounding. Like, he hasn't been a big thing recently, but Tatum rebounds better than all of those guys. So, like, and he's not pure – because, like, I would talk with Jared Weiss, and Jared Weiss has always kind of used Paul George as his comp as, like, his upper mm-hmm. ceiling. And I just don't see how he gets to that point defensively because before the injury with Paul George, he was the best wing defender in the NBA, like, not named LeBron James. He was just right. absolutely incredible. Yeah, and we go back to those 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 uh, games, those series against the Heat, where it was Hibbert and George Hill and David West and little Lance Stevenson and Paul George against that great Miami teams, and they would go toe to toe with those teams. And a big part of that was because Paul George would just get in the shorts of LeBron and make his life really difficult. Now LeBron would have great games, but even with that, he had to try really hard to do that. So yeah. I'm really hesitant on the Paul George stuff, but the offensive stuff that you see from him. And the way that Boston uses him, they really only use him. It's kind of like it's a little Belichickian, and I hate to use that name at all when trying to compare anything. But Boston has been has been able to find a way to find uh, a way for Jason Tatum to be effective on the floor at all times. Like they only really play to his strengths, and as he's gotten more comfortable, they've kind of seen more of his strengths and kind of utilized that a little bit. And again, that Grant Hill is one I've come back to, and I just don't go there because that guy. Before was great. Injuries was yeah. unbelievable. I mean, it was yeah. the perfect prototype player you could draw up, especially for today's NBA now, where this floor spacing is really pivotal and having you know guys that can make guard like plays on the wing or even at center are really in high demand in the NBA. So if you look at Grant Hill early on, like yeah, that's kind of a guy I've hesitated going that far with. But unfortunately, Chad, I've gotten there with you as well. It's like a, a maybe like a Grant Hill light, which is really scary for the rest of the league, especially at the disposal of the of the great Brad Stevens so far. Um, one of the things I've also kind of gotten around to is there are still some things about the season, like even though it's been super fun and uh, Boston has been the best team in the NBA by certain metrics this season, and they've obviously been a joy to watch, but there are certain things around this team that I don't really enjoy. Um, and basically the past couple of weeks have made this pretty prominent. This Isaiah stuff, I just, I, I, I we got to stop this. Like we got to, I mean, it feels like it gets shoehorned in to every conversation possible about, you know, Isaiah and being traded and whatever, whether it's the, the Jersey retirement night with Pierce or whatever we show a video or not, or compare my, my least favorite thing is people that compare Isaiah Thomas and Kyrie Irving, like they're the same player or something like it just, Anything that has, I think, I, like it really has gotten to me. I think this I, the Isaiah Thomas stink is still lurking over the Boston Celtics, and it's really just out of all the fun things we've seen this year, it's still kind of bringing me down a little bit. Any, anything about the Celtics this year, at, at, at least in terms of narrative and storylines, that you don't like this year? Um, no, I mean that would be up there, but I, I think it probably fades away at least until we get closer to Paul Pierce, the uh, number retirement night, and then the, the Isaiah element pops up again, but. You know, I understand why he feels the way he does. He he liked it here. Uh, he's had some say in convincing Al Horford to come here and, and uh, Gordon Hayward and put a pretty heavy push on Kevin Durant as well and felt like he was a Celtic. And maybe he 
maybe he overestimated that, uh, but the Celtics certainly benefited from it and then uh, made the best trade for the organization when the time came. And I think it was difficult for him to deal with, which I can understand, but uh, I agree with you. There's a time to move on. Otherwise, uh, no, I, I, I wish Gordon Hayward hadn't got hurt in the first quarter of the first game of the season uh, because you can only imagine how dynamic they would be right now. But maybe Jason Tatum had, doesn't develop to the degree that he has. Maybe Jalen Brown doesn't get the minutes that he is, has uh, has had to make his improvements. So in a small, small kind of way, even that was a little bit of a blessing. And, and uh, sounds like Hayward will be back to add even more to this, uh, if not late this season, than full strength next year. So I have no complaints. They've been a, a joy to watch every night uh, for the most part. And it's become appointment viewing. I mean, for me, it is Celtics are anyway, I'm sure they are for you, but oh, yeah. it's, it's at the point in my household where, you know, my wife asks me every day, are the Celtics playing? And that's my never mom been... does that. I get texts yeah. from my mom all the time. It's a different level. Yeah. It's a different level. So okay. uh, I no, I have no gripes at all. I, I, maybe I will after the playoffs are over or something. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong, but right now this is a heck of a ride. I got one more Jason Tatum Grant Hill thing for you. Too. Go ahead. Oh, absolutely, bring it on, man. Grant Hill was 22 when he came into the league. Isn't that crazy? I know. He actually stayed in college. He also shot 14 percent from three his freshman his rookie year, which is just hard to believe. Yeah, so Tatum's already better than Grant Hill at this point. This is what we're getting at. Yes, that's a, that's our yeah. conclusion. Tatum's yep. going to be, you know, we always. <laughs> I love how uh, Celtics Reddit and Celtics Twitter universe have always been able to like link Michael Jordan and Jalen Brown together. Now we can link uh, Grant Hill and Jason Tatum together, and they can have Grant Hill and Jason Tatum. We're going to be. Uh, just fine. I'm glad you brought up Jalen Brown because I feel like with all the the Jason Tatum hysteria, that the improvements this guy has made go relatively unnoticed. And I was talking with Greg Casoli last week of the Celtics Wire and the, and the USA Today media group, and we were talking about our favorite storylines. And mine is actually Jalen Brown because this is a guy that in college, again, we always use the in college thing, but in college shot like 25% from three-point range. Uh, again, was a disaster on the offensive end. People didn't know what his ceiling was. And now here he is, year two, 40% three-point shooter, an athletic mm-hmm. dynamo, covers the best wing player on everybody's team, and is a guy that when you look at him and you're like, well, if he works really hard and if he puts the time in the gym that he does – this guy is absolutely terrifying, especially in transition. I think there is a ceiling where Jalen Brown, I mean, regardless of whatever he is in terms of his position, it doesn't matter to me, but there is potential for Jalen Brown to be like a top five, top ten player in transition in the league at his like peak. I see a guy, when he gets the ball and has space to run, he's going to be impossible. Once his handle's a little bit better, he's going to yeah. be impossible to stop. Yeah, he needs to tighten up that dribble. He still looks like he's on ice skates sometimes, but it's a, it's a lot better than it was last year. Um, our guy, uh, Gary Washburn, one of our Celtics writers, our national NBA writer, uh, he's a Cal grad, and so he was pretty familiar with Jalen Brown uh, coming out. And he said um, when the Celtics took him that Cal was such a mess, especially in terms of their offensive spacing, that you, you couldn't even really tell what – how good he was because he'd have a guy standing next to him when he took a jump shot. You know, it's just a disaster, poorly coached team. Uh, and apparently this is something Ainge has cited as well, that that you watch Cal and you realize that he got absolutely no help on offense, even though they had Ivan Rab and uh, was a, considered a pretty good NBA prospect at that point. It just, uh, it was a, it was a mess and that affected how people perceived him as a freshman. He also got that horrible label of being smart that. Uh, oh, this is the dumbest take. I, I know where you're is. going. 
Yeah, it is. It's so stupid that he's he questions his coaches. <laughs> well, and, I would I would too if I had Ivan Robin another center on the floor with me and nobody that could shoot. <laughs> I feel you, Jalen. If you're if you're Brad Stevens and you're confident in who you are and you're a successful coach, you don't mind your players questioning you. If you're a coach who has a reason to be questioned, uh, you're going to be paranoid about that, especially yeah. if there's some smart kid who's 19 years old uh, asking the questions and he knows more than you do. So uh, some people put that down as a negative about him. I think the Celtics look at it as they were getting another intelligent player who was going to grasp what they were eventually trying to do. It's funny, though. I've I've written about this. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, when they ended up with the third pick in that draft, uh, they you know every, they were hoping to get in the top two and uh, maybe hopefully even get Ingram there in the two spot. Uh, when they ended up with the number three spot, Ainge looked around his room at his draft, his scouts, and you know Mike Zarin and everybody who was in there and said, "Well, guess it's Jalen Brown." And they all kind of looked at each other like. Uh, are you, are you are you kidding me? You know, we got to talk about everybody else. We got to go over all our reports. And he's like, oh, yeah, we'll do all that. But uh, Jalen Brown, I really think is the guy. And I think you guys are going to be convinced of that pretty quickly. So Ainge, Ainge had this on his mind as soon as he knew where he was picking. And, it was, you know, it was considered a bit of a reach, I guess, by the, you know, by by a lot of people, the ESPN types or whoever. But uh, well, I'll uh, tell you, I, I was there at the draft. We were in the interview room and we're all sitting there because we all – you know, I'm sitting next to Steve Kyler, and I think like Adam Himmelsbach is behind me. And we're just sitting there waiting because we all knew what was going to happen. We knew Ben Simmons going one. We knew Ingram was going two. The, the Celtics were essentially they had 15 minutes to make their selection, and we, we, you know, I made the joke we should have a Woj ticker at the draft, like right above, <laughs> right above the podium there, just so that we all had the latest Woj tweets. And now we need shams too. But anyway, I, I we're sitting there, and when they selected Jalen Brown, the whole room went like kind of nuts because we're like, yeah. wait a minute, we went through all these Woj tweets and all this stuff about Chris Dunn for weeks, and here we are today, and it's Jalen Brown. This is what's going to happen, and I, I couldn't be any more happy about it because I think I think Jalen's been a really nice addition for them. I want to end here, and this is actually the, the, this last part of this is the reason why I want to get you on this particular podcast. Because I've been thinking about this lately, and The Ringer apparently has been thinking about this too. We are in this, like, potential real nice run here for the Celtics. I mean, you have mm-hmm. Tatum at 19, Brown at 21, Kyrie's 25 with a contract coming up, but I, I would put, almost put my life on it that they'll they'll find a way to come to terms with Kyrie. You have Hayward at 27. You know, Horford's at 31, but it looks like a guy that's going to age pretty well as we go forward here. There's another pick coming. There might be another pick coming with the Memphis pick. Right. It just seems like this is a real golden age of, of, of Boston Celtics basketball. And I know it's hard to compare to the Russell teams because, A, it's a different game back then, and, B, when you have the best player, you know, in the NBA on your team, you can win, you know, 11 titles. It's not, like, out of the question. But I wanted to see if, if you could maybe enlighten me a little bit in this regard. Is there anything about the Celtics now that reminds you of the early years, like 79, 80, you know, when Bird finally, you know, first hits the NBA and, you know, averages, what, 16 and 10 his first year in the league? Does anything about this Celtics team remind you of the early 80s Celtics teams where you kind of knew right away this team was going to be good for a very long time? Um, in a different sort of way, because they're structured a lot differently. Like, it's funny, you know, we look back at the 80s as a whole, and you say, Bird Mikhail Parrish. But in the early 80s, Bird didn't get a ton of touches as a rookie. Uh, when Mikhail got here, he wasn't in the playoff series against the Sixers, the famous playoff 81 playoff series against the Sixers. 
it was the bruisers who were getting playing time over him, like Rick Roby. Uh, it was, you know, it was uh, tiny Archibald getting minutes in the backcourt. Max was a huge focal point. Uh, you, you look back at Max's history here. I mean, he had to jump on my back boys in game seven and 84 and he was MVP in 81. He was an essential part of, of them putting up two banners and it's still sort of looked back as bird McHale chief. Uh, that took a while to develop. And uh, you look at what this is, it's, yes, you have your superstar now in Kyrie Irving, genuine superstar, but it's not uh, it's it, it, it's not the same type of player that you had in those days by any stretch. Uh, basically, you had two combo guards in DJ and in Ainge who were kind of interchangeable. DJ was basically the point guard, but uh, you could put Danny at the point, DJ at the two, and have no problem with that. Uh, this team also still has some mystery to it because you don't know exactly what Tatum's going to be. You know, he's going to be really good, probably a multi-time all-star, even maybe something more than that, but you don't know yet. Same with Jalen Brown. Uh, same with these draft picks that are out there. If this Lakers pick becomes a Kings pick or if they get it this year or whether the Memphis pick is a lot better a couple years from now than it is right now. So they've still got some pieces to add to this. What I think you're looking at, though, is – extraordinary depth on on the on the new uh, on on the current team especially once they get to genuine championship contention which may be this year who knows but i think what if, if danny continues to draft the way he has the last few years uh, even going against conventional wisdom in a couple of points they are going to be absolutely loaded not 1 through 8 but probably one through ten at least, and uh, that is something I've never really seen before from any Celtics team. Yeah, and that's the fun part about it is you have, you know, you again, you really said you have a superstar in Kyrie Irving already there, but there's potential for more guys maybe like Kyrie down the road, which makes this you know this era potentially a very very long uh, fun era. That's the Boston Globe's Chad Finney. He's this Globe Sports Media columnist. He covers basically everything, including the radio airwaves, which apparently you get a lot of flack for, Chad. I'm sorry about that. Just, you know, you listen to the show and you, you write about what you listen to. So I don't, I, I hate the fact that people criticize that, but hey, it's the word. Nah, that's the territory. Yeah, hey. But I appreciate the time, man. Uh, thanks for, the, for everything, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, Evan. Thanks. Take care, man. And that'll do it for this edition of Celtics Speed here on CLNS Media. Evan Valenti taking off. Before I do, a couple of you to hand out. First and foremost, Chad Finn for joining us from the Boston Globe. Chad's amazing. I love the fact that he's like the media watchdog, essentially, uh, for Boston sports talk, especially. I love that stuff, so make sure you follow Chad uh, at the Boston Globe. Also, more thank yous to hand out. You guys, uh, you guys are awesome. I love you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Shout out to Nick Gelso, my CEO of CLNS Media, Larry H. Russell, the former host, and of course, the executive producer of this show. Greg Casoli for uh, my researcher. He's a fantastic researcher. Again, make sure you guys check out his stuff at the Celtics Wire. He's a part of the USA Today Media Group. Shout out to Chuck Dietz and Steph Legrato for the music. And again, one more time, you guys. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Evan Valenti, E-V-A-N-V-A-L-E-N-T-I. And check out my daily Celtics Roundtable podcast uh, with my Roundtable crew. Matt Ignall, Jonathan Ignall, Jonathan Levy, Lucky's Pipe, Sam Sheehan, and more all coming all throughout the week this week uh, as well. So I'll see you guys next Sunday with more Celtics Beat here as a part of CLNS Media.